Welcome to Life Church Hurley's audio podcast. We hope this teaching will challenge you in any season of life you may be in. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. Test one, two. Test one. <laughs> Emmanuel could hear it in the earphones, but yeah, uh, yeah, I got it. Well, good morning. My goodness, what free chili will do. Man. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be good. Look, I think we have nine or ten people cooking chili this morning, so you should get a good taste of everything. Uh, I do want to make you aware of a couple things. First off, the, the baptism next Sunday. If you have a kid that needs to be baptized, a teen or even an adult that wants to be baptized, please let us know uh, sometime this week. You can use the Life Church app on your phone, or you can call the church office, whatever you need to do, or just let me know. Um, also, I, I want to tell you about one thing that's out there. Um, uh, I was joking with some of y'all, we got the wrecking ball, so if any of y'all uh, going through something in your marriage, now's the day to figure that out, you know. Uh, and and the, the second thing is, uh, there, there's a big white tent out there, and this is so cool. So this year, we found ourselves renovating some houses for some families uh, locally. Uh, there was one family that had a house burned down. There was a family that um, there was a grandmother that was left alone with her granddaughter to provide for her. And they were literally, they were living in a shed. And when I say a shed, I mean literally what you store your lawnmower in. That's what they were living in. They had no AC, no heat, and no walls. They had no indoor plumbing or anything like that. They were living, and this is local. This is in our area. Uh, And then, of course, Miss Bell, uh, her house was caving in, and we ended up renovating a place for her. Uh, But what happens is we find these people that are in these desperate situations with Ms. Ms. Bell. She was in a very pitiful place with the family. There was two families, the the family that had their house burned down. They were they were living in a shed. And then this other one with the grandmother uh, and the granddaughter, they were living in a shed. And so the white tent out there is a disaster relief tent that was bought through Mana Ministries. And what it is, is it can be inflated in just a few minutes, or in our case, a few hours. Uh, we found that out yesterday. Uh, but uh, we figured it out, I guess. Well, what can happen is if, if a family is going through something, they need, immediate, they need an immediate place to stay. We can go and inflate this thing. It's, again, it's used for disaster relief. It's a temporary shelter. Uh, we can put AC in it, and we can put lights in it, and they can at least be up and going temporarily until we can get a, a more long-term temporary place for them to stay, if not a temporary place. I know our projects keep getting bigger and, and bigger. Uh, pretty, sure, pretty soon, I'm sure, we'll just start building houses just to do it, right? So, um, but the tent is really neat. On the top, it has the Man of Ministries website on it. I want you to take just a moment and walk through it, because I want you to see what we have to offer. If you, if you know a family that has something going on, I think it's a 20 by 30 structure, which is a pretty big structure. Uh, if you know of something that happens in a few months from now, and you say, hey, I, I got the perfect place uh, for this. How cool is that, Ron? I just That's amazing. Sorry. Uh, if you know a family that has something that comes up, and they need a temporary place to stay, then you know where to go. You know, you can call us, you know, you can call Ron, and we have it. Amen? So it's really cool. Really neat what God's doing. It's so random, and he just puts stuff together. Uh, we're so, so, so thankful for God 
for putting stuff together. And, you know, we kind of talked about this last week, about how God prepares us through his word. He prepares us by telling us things in advance. His word lays out the future of the church. His word lays out uh, what's going to happen in the last days. We know that we can live our life by what this word says. And he says by him telling us ahead of time of what's coming, that preparation of what's coming, coming in our future should always put us at peace. And I really want to take and look at that again today because no matter how much we proclaim it, peace is one of those things that we can all struggle with. And, you know, maybe sometimes it's, it's even a good thing that we struggle with peace because it shows us some things. But I, I want to open scripture this morning. I'm going to be short because, well, I mean, come on. I, I'm going to be pastor short today, if that's okay. Um, because I really want to spend some time out here with y'all. So John chapter 16, verse 31, we looked at this last week. I want to read it again. John chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Jesus answered them, and he said, Do you now believe? And indeed the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And then he said, And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And these things I have spoken, excuse me, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have what, church? Peace. Peace. And then he said, in the world you have tribulation, trouble. You will always go through something. You will always have a chance of seasons where things are coming at you. But he said, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. The tribulation does not take the place of the peace. And what Jesus was trying to tell us is that even when we go through tribulation, even when we go through those things that we do not want to go through, that tribulation and peace can coexist. Yes. And I know that's hard to understand, and I know that's sometimes hard to walk through, but that even the hardest times of life, those tribulations, those times where things come upon us that we didn't make come upon ourselves. Now, sometimes we make mistakes and we have an understanding like, oh, I understand that I'm walking through the hurt because I caused this to myself. But sometimes we walk through things that we did not cause. We just walk through things that it just happens to be the way the world is at the time. The way, you know, something happened to us and there's a time of tribulation. And Jesus says that tribulation and peace can coexist. Amen, church? Have you ever found yourself, though, distorting your own reality? Like maybe you hear somebody whispering, you walk into a room, this has actually happened to me before, you walk into a room and somebody's whispering about you and you leave that room as quick as possible and you make up your own reality about what they were saying, right? Or maybe you're at work and they're having a private meeting and they left you out and in your mind, you're creating a new reality. And I don't know if you're like me, but that reality is always way worse than the actual reality. That we create things. We create a reality that does not exist. People that are stressed a lot, people that are high 
high tension all the time, you know, people that are always on the edge of being angry. They seem to create realities a lot that do not actually exist. We're creating a reality that is not based in truth. And any time where we create a reality that is not based in truth, that means that reality does not even exist. Isn't that crazy? But I want you to see this. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. It says, they exchanged the truth. What? They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The creator who was blessed forever and ever and ever. And the church said, amen. We create a reality that is not true because it is based on a lie. Last week, we looked at how the word of God is total truth. No matter if we like it, no matter if we agree with it, no matter even if we don't see it in the moment, the word of God is truth. And no matter what the word of God says, that is reality. But what this scripture in Romans just said is that a lot of people have taken the truth of God and they've chosen to exchange it for a lie. And whenever you exchange truth, For a lie, then you're exchanging reality for something that is not rooted in reality. And therefore, we are creating something that does not actually exist. I want to give you one more scripture. I want you to see this. John chapter 8, verse 44. Now, I want you to take a moment, turn your scripture there, because I want you to see this in black and white on your paper right there. Ready? John chapter 8, verse 44. This is talking about the enemy. He says, you were of your father... The devil, talking about unbelievers, you are, of, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, the devil, you want to do. But your father is a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in what? In truth. In truth. The enemy, devil, Satan, does not stand in truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. Now check this out, word for word. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. In other words, he doesn't have to go find a lie somewhere. He is a lie. Everything he does is a lie. Everything the enemy says, everything he whispers in your ear, everything he tells you about the future of your family, everything he lays out, everything he tries to convince you of is a lie. Why? Because he fundamentally is a liar. It is who he is. Now check this out. He is a liar and he is a father of it. In other words, there was no lying before he invented it. He is the father of all lies. Now check this out, verse 45. Jesus said, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. In other words, Jesus is saying, everything I told you is truth, and therefore truth is all reality. And anything the enemy tells you is based in a lie, is a lie, cannot be anything other than a lie. And so therefore, when the enemy tells you something, it is not reality. 
In other words, it does not even exist, church. So when the enemy starts telling you something, you'd be like, you don't even exist. The, the future you're saying doesn't exist. The lie that you're rooted in does not exist. And God says, everything I tell you is absolute truth. You see, when we create a reality that doesn't exist, we're living a way that God never wanted us to live. And we're doing things, we're putting our hands to a lie. I love, it's like the old Roadrunner commercials. Remember, the Roadrunner would run through it and paint like a, you know, paint a scene on a brick wall and he would run through it and then a coyote would come by and smack his head on the brick. It's like that. It's like we believe a lie and we run full force and there's nothing there. And the enemy goes, oh yeah, I just ran through it. Come on, come on this way, I'm going to tell you. But God says, we don't, we tend to not believe what he says because it is truth and it's almost so hard to believe about ourselves. The, the truth is more unbelievable than the lie. In other words, we're getting a watered down, distorted truth because we go, oh, that makes way more sense than the impossibility of what Jesus just told me. I want to read that one more time. First off, Romans, he says, you exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then in John chapter 8, he says, you are, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. But he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. If we look back at John chapter 16, the first verse we mentioned, it says, in me, you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he speaks to us over and over and over about the true reality and the true knowledge of him. And even in tribulation, that there can be peace. Jesus says, that's the truth. That's the absolute truth. But how many of y'all know that sometimes when we walk through tribulation, we go, there's no truth, there's no peace to be found. And Jesus is saying, that's not the truth. And when we go through something hard, somebody dies and maybe somebody walks away or or we lose finances or whatever, and we go, there's no no peace found here. And Jesus says, but it, it can be found there. I'm telling you the truth. It can be. It can be. I'm getting somewhere with this. I want you to see I'm laying a groundwork. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. It says, be anxious for nothing. Some of y'all could probably quote this. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Look, look, look. We got to read it. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will wrap around your heart and guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. What is it guarding it from? It's guarding it from the lie from Satan that these things cannot be found in what you're going through. And then he says, well, finally, brethren, whatever things are what? Come on, church, say this big loud with me. Oh, Patrick, Patrick's over there judging chili. That's why we don't have scripture on this. My goodness. 
Chili is a double-edged sword. All right, well, just imagine it in your head. Verse 8 says this, ready? It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true. You see, this is God telling us over and over and over and over again, do not settle for the lie. Do not accept the lie. Do not listen to the lie. Don't listen. Don't allow it in your house. Don't allow somebody to speak it over you. Don't, don't, don't give ear to it. Yes. Don't let the lie distort what God is trying to tell you. Because here he says, whatever things are true. And that's where he started out. You've got to start out with the truth. Right. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, then meditate on these things. But you have to start in the truth Amen. of what God's word says. Amen. And then he says this, if you start with truth, then how does it end? And then he says, and the God of peace will be with you. You will never find peace where there is not truth. You will never find peace where there is a lie. You will never find peace where there is a distortion of reality that God created for you. Amen? Amen. It's pretty powerful stuff. He said, the God of peace. You start in truth, and you end with peace. I mentioned, I kind of alluded to this a minute ago, but do you know that just because you find an area of your life that lacks peace, that's not necessarily a bad thing? And I'll explain. I'll walk you through some scripture. But sometimes you go through things in life, and it just... There's no way for, for peace to be found there at the beginning. Jesus in the garden, remember, it, it says that he was sorrowful even unto death. In other words, the sorrow almost killed Jesus. Jesus is in a time where he's praying to God, and Jesus even doesn't have the peace in the moment. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's about to go through. And by the way, it wasn't just the cross. It's, it was about what came after the cross. We're about to get into that, too. It's It's incredible. But Jesus in that moment is literally sweating blood out of his body. You think that was peaceful in that moment? Have you ever sweat blood? That's an extremely excruciating process for Jesus. And yet he finds himself in a time where there is no peace. And you have walked through things where there simply is no peace. You've been through times, no matter if you could, you could leave church today. Find out news about something. You hear a whole sermon about peace and about God's truth. You can leave and then have that peaceful moment taken away from you. It happens in life. But here's what it is. Anywhere you find an area of your life where there is no peace, God wants there to be peace there. It's almost like a radar system like a radar that's searching for planes in the sky or something like that. You know what a radar does, right? A, a radar sends out radio waves, and it's just beaming them constantly. And the whole sky is literally filled with radio waves. But what happens is when that radio wave hits that plane and bounces back, the signal is telling the tower 
that right there in that spot, there are no radio waves. In other words, there's a spot out there that is empty of what I'm trying to put there. And for a believer, it's the same way with peace. Our radar is always up. And for a believer, we like to live in peace. We like to walk in peace. We like to know that the God of peace is there. But God is saying those moments where you're in a place and you're in a circumstance and you feel that there is not peace in that room, I want to be there. It is our job and it's our responsibility as believers to put God in places that the enemy tries to take away. And so you walk into a family's house where someone just passed away, maybe unexpectedly, maybe a child, and you say, there is no peace here. We bring the peace with us. And maybe there's an area of your life, even though you're a believer, you believe Jesus, you believe all these things, you can quote this scripture, yet you hit a wall and you say, there's no peace in this room. God looks at us and he says, I want to be there. Jesus in the garden. Remember, the guards come up and the high priest, uh, his, his servant, uh, walks up and Simon Peter cuts the ear off of the servant. We all know the story, right? And Jesus looks and he goes, no, 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 it's, that's not what that's about. And what Jesus does in a, in a time of chaos, when he's literally about to be let off, Jesus said, this is about God bringing peace to this moment. And he knelt down and in a time of chaos, He said, God needs to be here too. And he restored a man's ear. Just because you feel like you're lacking peace, don't freak out, church, because that is a great opportunity for peace to be brought into that place. Our spirit knows when there's not peace. But I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. That chili must be really good over there. If you find a place that does not have peace, that's where the Spirit of God wants to be and needs to be. Check this out. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. This was a prophecy about Jesus. I want you to look word for word at what the prophecy about Jesus says. Ready? It says, Jesus will be wounded for our transgressions. We know that. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our, what? Peace Peace was upon Jesus. And by his stripes, we are are healed. Now, when we read that, we go, that's so good. Jesus went to the cross. And you know, man, look at that. Peace be upon him. And he brought peace. And it was so good. I want you to see that word. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Look, you know what the chastisement is, right? The rebuke of our peace. Chastisement means rebuke. So when the enemy comes to you and lies to you and rebukes your peace, when he walks into your house and saying you can't have peace and strips away peace, look what Jesus did. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. I walked into there and I took your peace back and I gave it back to you. Jesus said the chastisement, the rebuke, For your peace was upon him. It was his responsibility to go from the cross to the grave and to the depths of hell to fight the enemy, to come out victorious for your peace. That's why he went there. He went there for salvation. He went there for eternity. He went there to overcome evil. Yes, but Jesus makes mention, and Isaiah says, specifically 
for your peace. You know why? Because if you have a victorious God and you walk in the ways of a victorious God and you walk in the word of a victorious God, then your peace will be upon you when you're following Jesus. He went to hell for your peace. For your peace. This means that our spirit has to be in tune with the word of God at all times. Because the word of God says things that we don't want to hear. The word of God says things that are difficult. The word of God says things that are complicated. The word of God says things that might take us years to fully comprehend and years to fully walk in. The word of God says things that maybe sometimes at some point in our life will take us maturing before we really get it. But God says, if you walk in my word, then I will bring peace wherever you are. Amen, church? The chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus going to the cross, recognizing what was about to happen. Jesus was filled with all this, not fear, Not worry, not doubt, but he knew the scale of what was about to happen. Everybody's standing at the foot of the cross. They go, wow, Jesus, this mighty God. And and that the soldier was standing there. It says, this must be a righteous man. This is an unbeliever who sees what Jesus just walked through. And the soldier says, this must be a righteous man. That he's willing to die. And then at the very end, he says, Father God, my soul is committed to you. This must be a righteous man. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. What's the most evil place that you can think of? Think about it real fast. Think about somewhere on the planet that the most evil place would be. Maybe it would be where a drug dealer is plotting and planning how he can get more kids and teenagers Addicted to drugs, that way he can keep getting money and, and money. That's, that's a pretty evil place. Maybe it's in a, in a front passenger seat of a truck that a guy is going from neighborhood to neighborhood to find his next victim. That's a, that's a pretty evil place. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's somebody out in the woods with a group of people and they wear weird clothes and they have a fire going and they have all this weird stuff or whatever and, and they're worshiping at the feet of something else. And they're saying all these chants. Maybe that's, that's a pretty evil place, right? Think of the greatest form of evil. Think of the greatest place of evil. Maybe it's a country. Maybe, you know, whatever it is. Think of it real, real fast. That is no comparison. Doesn't even touch the degree of the evil that's in the depths of hell. The depths of hell is completely removed from the Spirit of God. There is no good. There is no love. There is no shadow of those things. There is no glimmer of hope. There is absolutely nothing. There is wailing, gnashing of teeth. There is fire. There is demons. There is darkness. That's what's, that's what's in the depths of hell. And there, when, when good tries to come there, it is an 
all-out war. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this. We're going to look at these words carefully. I'm telling you, this is so good. It says, For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, we all know that verse, right? But I want to read it word for word, really slow. For God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to take on our sin. I, I think we, we, we always picture this moment, right? As like Jesus was wearing a coat of our sin. Like Jesus went to hell and he put it on and he's wearing it. and It's kind of warm and it's kind of hurting and, and all these type things. And then he goes to hell and he, he rips it off and he goes, everybody's free. But then he would have says. Says Jesus became sin. The guy riding around in the truck who's looking for some child to abduct or whatever, that, that evil, the guy who bombs a building, that evil that we don't even want to look in his face. We don't even want to click on the news article because it's so evil. We don't even want that in our spirit. Jesus became that sin. He didn't become a part of it. It didn't become a part of him. He literally, in the spirit, became sin. That means right then, when you looked upon Jesus, in fact, I can't remember where it's at, but it actually talks about that Jesus was deformed in the face where you wouldn't even recognize him as a human being. You, you literally wouldn't even see and say that that's a human. You would just say that's an object. He became so deformed because he became sin. And Jesus died on the cross. Look, what I'm getting back to is truth and peace. Because if we know the truth, then that's where, that's where peace is found. We have to understand the magnitude that Jesus went from the cross to hell, became deformed, became sin because he wanted to overcome that sin so we could live in truth and in peace. Look at this next one. This is so incredible. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. I think this is something that we kind of skip over sometimes. It says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I am so grateful to have a screen with scripture on it. So good. Look at that. Having disarmed principalities and powers. I don't know if we really take a moment to appreciate what Jesus did in hell. You see, people will sit at home today because they'll think their sin is holding them back from coming to church. When we believe in a God who went to hell and became sin. Oh, you know, I, I go to the bar on Saturday night and I get drunk. That is nothing compared to what my God became. It's not even, it doesn't even make him flinch. He doesn't even see it anymore. He already overcame it. I want you to see this. It says Jesus, when he went there, had to disarm principalities 
and powers. Church, he didn't just go down there and proclaim victory. Jesus went down there and was victorious. He went down. We don't understand the magnitude of Jesus walking into hell and being ripped apart and consumed by the principalities and powers of the enemy. Imagine, I mean, I, I, I can't fathom, but imagine Jesus walking in and they are literally trying to rip him and his spirit apart. And Jesus is fighting and they are jumping on him and pounding and doing everything they can to get at Jesus so he cannot escape. But Jesus, as he's being surrounded by every power of darkness and the universe, is disarming them one by one and fighting them off and knocking them out and leaving the depths of hell. Three days. Three days. Three days of this. And Jesus is fighting. You think the cross was hard? The cross was practically nothing compared to this. Jesus became sin and had to overcome it. Everything. Everything that me and you will do, everything that me and you will do today when we leave church, Jesus had to overcome those powers of darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Why? Is it so we can go and live in heaven one day and that's great and, you know, it's going to be the perfect temperature, you know, 85? There'll be no sun because God will be the light and will walk in his glory for eternity. And that's great. But Jesus said, I went there and I did that so you would know truth and so you could walk in peace. Peace came at a cost. Peace was literally Jesus becoming what he wasn't so he could be everything for me and you. Thank you, Jesus. Peace. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I'm almost done, but I want you to see this. Hebrews 2, 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same that through death... He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through death, Jesus had to overcome the one who had the power of death. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus said, I am the one, I am he who lives, and I'm the one who is dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And then Jesus declares, by the way, when I went there and I came back, I didn't come empty handed. I came back with the keys of Hades and death. And we go, oh, that's so cool. That's so cute. That's so cute. The keys, you know, that's so nice. But he just talked about the power of the darkness that he had to go and defeat And then after Jesus got done binding them and defeating them, he walked over. He said, I know that you're going to have a little while longer on the earth. He said, but before I leave, 
I'm going to take the keys off the table, and I'm going to take them back with me. Now, we might just look at that and go, that's cute. It must be a little gateway. No, no, no. Keys represent in the Bible all power and all authority of a king. The keys of the kingdom represent all power and all authority. So Jesus basically said this. Look, you're going to roam the earth for a little while longer, but there will be one day where I will come back and I will lock this gate for eternity. I've already taken your power away from me. You have no power, no authority, no anointing. You can do nothing. He removed it and he took it and he's holding them. And one day there will be finality in that and everything will be locked away for forever. Amen. Perfect time in slamming the door. And he will shut the gates of hell. <laughs> Jesus, you're so good. Your timing and your truth is perfect. Amen. Jesus did not die a cute death. He didn't die. You know, I think the symbolism of Easter is powerful. I, I think the symbolism of communion was powerful. But if we don't understand the magnitude, of what Jesus did, I think we, we lose focus on what Jesus had to do and what he had to go through for you to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. And when you're in those moments and you go, oh, well, you know, I, I, I don't see it. That's right. You don't understand. I, I don't know where it's at. That's right. You cannot comprehend. But God wants to be there. It's peace that surpasses all understanding because of what Jesus was willing to do for you to have it. And then he said, amen, amen, amen. Got one more verse and I'm done. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says this. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I want to stop there. You can see the rest of the verse up on the screen. But I want to stop there. Because we started off this morning by giving us two options. The truth that is in the word of God. The truth of who Jesus is. The reality that God has. The only reality that actually exists. Or the lie from Satan the lie that distorts what God's word says and the lie that does not actually exist. Whatever the enemy says, it does not actually exist. He's just trying to create something that, that is not actually there. Now, look, it says these signs will follow those who believe. Those who believe. It says in my name, they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. You're going to have some new verbiage. You're going to have some new language. You're going to start saying things come out of your mouth. You're like, oh, I never thought I would say that. I never thought I would cast out a demon. I never thought I would lay hands on a sick and see them be healed. I, I never thought I would see these signs. I never thought I would be able to say that. But he says this. He says, those who believe. Yeah. You know, there's, a, there's actually a, a, a difference between faith in unbelief. Remember the, the disciples in a boat with Jesus and the storm comes up, right? 
and the sea starts to rage and Jesus is asleep chilling. Why? Because Jesus has the truth of peace. Jesus knows they ain't going anywhere because he's in the boat. It's sort of like Paul on the way to Rome. Paul's like, I ain't worried. I'll float on this plank of wood, but I'm going to Rome because God said it. So the disciples are in a boat with Jesus and, and Jesus wakes up and they, they're not calming the storm. They're not speaking to it. But I love what happens because they nudge Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, <laughs> by the way, it's raining. We're getting wet and it's windy and some lightning and we're scared. So we look at that and we go, they had no faith. But that's not true. Because why would you wake up Jesus if you didn't have faith in Jesus? See, a lot of us have faith in Jesus. A lot of us have faith if Jesus was here walking in, we would go, see, now Jesus is here. He'll do the miracle. And Jesus is in a boat, and he's frustrated because they woke him up and he was tired. And he was frustrated because he had already given the disciples everything they needed to just stand up and go, chill, and then have it be peaceful. They had all the faith in the world, but they had a lot of unbelief in themselves. And I think a lot of times we're in the boat and we're going, Jesus, come on, Jesus. If you show up in this hospital room, this person will be healed. And Jesus is like, I sent you to a hospital room that had no peace in it. Because that's where the spirit of God wanted to be. And I sent you to declare the things that I asked you to declare over that person. For you to stand up and say, Peace be healed in the name of Jesus. I think all of us in this room have plenty of faith in Jesus. But he says, for those who believe, for those who believe the truth of the word of God, for those who believe every, I like how scripture put it, every jot and tittle of what God has said, every word. He said, there, when you believe the truth and not the false reality of the enemy, that you'll have peace even there. You see, it's so mighty. And I know all these scriptures I read this morning, I love it, because this is stuff we could probably all quote or we all heard before and stuff we learned in Sunday school. is so cute, but there's so much power in the realness of the word of God. And that's what God, Jesus Christ himself, went to hell for us to walk in. He went there for us to understand that the truth shall set you free. The truth will lead you in places, yea, they'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That rod and staff to cover me. Not only that, but to get on the other side, and Jesus is like, look, I know we had to go through a little bit there, but uh, y'all just go ahead and eat. Can you imagine going through something, and immediately afterwards, you're like over there eating, just chilling, hanging out. You know, you're eating at green grass. And not only that, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
Do you realize that Jesus had to sit at a table and become full-on sin so you could sit at a table surrounded by the enemy who's accusing you? By the way, he's the accuser of the brethren who's going before God and accusing you day and night of your sin. And God's like, have you met Jesus? He's like, yeah, yeah, but they were, they were at the bar last night getting drunk, and you said not to get drunk. He's like, have you met Jesus? Do you know that they're walking in the truth? Do you know that, yep, there is sin in the world, but Jesus overcame the world? Do you know that that sinner is not too far gone? That that sinner who was drunk on Saturday night will walk into a church on Sunday morning, hear the truth about Jesus, and give their life to Jesus because he finally realized that their sin is not overwhelming to God, that God is not sitting back going, no. There's, there, there's nothing you've done. There's nowhere you've walked. There's nothing you've been through. There's nothing you've put your hand to. You know, I always point out, you know, we, we go, wow, Hitler was an evil person. Do you know that, that Jesus' blood was enough to even cover his sins? Yes. Yes. And maybe at the last second, Hitler goes, wow, Jesus is true. And, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get to heaven and, and, and there will be uh, Hitler and Nietzsche and all these guys sitting there. And we sit there and we go, you're not supposed to be in heaven. And Jesus goes, have you ever met Jesus? I became. I didn't just do those things. I became. And I overcame. He did all that. So us as believers would walk in truth of who God is and of who he's called us to be. Church, will you stand to your feet this morning? And will you close your eyes this morning? Because I believe with all my heart that we'll find ourselves in places where there's not peace, but God is saying, hey, I want to be there. And that believers have to be strong and knowing truth and knowing who we are and bringing God to those places, to walk into a room full of misunderstanding, full of chaos, and God said, yeah, I want to be there. I want to be there too. Believers, just start praying. Close your eyes and let me ask you this. If, if you're going through a time or you don't feel peace, you don't even feel peace in this room right now, if you feel like you're going through almost a season where you have been removed from peace, will you just raise your hand? Wow. Wow. Anybody else? Where peace is hard to come by, where peace comes in and out, where there are areas in your life where you dread having to go places having to walk into a room, having to go to somebody's house because there's no peace there. Can I just pray with you? Jesus, right now, God, I pray that we don't put aside the magnitude of who you are, Jesus, and what you had to go through. But God, also, I pray that 
we come to the full realization of you in us, that we are the righteousness of Christ, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we sit in heavenly places, that there we are in the throne room of God. We walk in boldly. All of these things that your scripture says, Lord, that's, that's who we are. And you said for those who believe, those who accept the truth, those who, who will not deny and those who will not listen to the lie of the enemy, those, those are the ones that will bring peace. Those are the ones that will see the mighty works. Those will be the one who seek. Those that believe in all out truth. Jesus, we love you for those who raised their hands. God, I pray. Lord, first off, you fill them with peace right now. Lord, all the, all the doubt and the worry and the fear, Lord, I pray, is just stripped away. Lord, just dissolved in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for an empowerment that they walk boldly just as they do in heaven right now. God, I pray that the believer walks boldly in those places and chooses to declare Jesus even when no one in the room wants to hear about the goodness of Jesus. We love you. Now with your eyes closed, let me ask you this. Is there anybody in the room that, that would say that, you don't know Jesus? Like you know of him. You trust that he's out there. You trust that he exists and that he walked this earth. But you've never committed to Jesus. You've, you've never just said it's, it's all about you. You've never made him your Lord and Savior. You've never accepted what he did going to the cross and then going to hell. You've never accepted him overcoming. I'm going to tell you, he's been waiting for you all these years. He knows you. It said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't worried about your sin. It seems big to you because it's yours, but it ain't big to Jesus. He became those things and was still victorious. If that's you, we're not trying to point you out. We're not going to embarrass you. But will you raise your hand right, right where you're at? Everybody has their eyes closed. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior and you want to, will you just raise your hand? Come on, church, will you pray? Anybody? Jesus, we pray that if there is someone in this room, or if there's someone watching right now or watching in the future and they don't know you, Jesus, can I just say, Jesus loves you. And all you have to do is believe 
with everything that you are, that he is the Christ. And yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you are separated from God. But that you believe this day on Jesus Christ and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior, that his blood shed on the cross overwhelmed and overcame your sin, that he is the Savior of the universe, and also that he is your personal Lord and Savior. All you have to do is pray those things and say, Jesus, I dedicate my life, my spirit, my soul, and my body to you, Jesus. And I know that through this belief in you, Jesus, that I will one day spend eternity in heaven next to you. But Jesus, I also know that I get to walk on this earth just as it's being walked in heaven right now. I get to walk in truth. I get to walk in your spirit. I get to know you. I get to hear from you. And I get to speak to you, Jesus. And we just close your prayer out with this. Say, Jesus, I love you. Come on, church. Can you say that? Just say, Jesus, we love you. You are precious to us. We don't take you for granted. We hold you tight. We will never walk away. We will never let go. We, we never want to push you to the side. Jesus, we want to walk in the absolute truth of who you are and who your word is. Thank you, Jesus, that you look upon us and say, and I, I get it, you're going to walk through times where there is no peace, but I also want to be there. I want to bring peace into that room. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you for this beautiful church family. You said you're bringing people in for a specific purpose, specific people to fulfill so many specific roles and ministry ministries. And God, we thank you. Lord, we see the heart of the people that you bring in. We see the passion of Jesus that you're speaking and you're drawing and you say, hey, I, I want you to be a part of my kingdom in ways you've never been a part of before. And God, we thank you for renewed passion. We thank you for renewed vision, Lord, that we pick up where we left off maybe decades ago. And, and you said, I'm going to put you back in the service. I'm going to put you back in the ministry. And God, we pray that the kingdom of God will be heard because of the people in this room. We, we pray that the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of your word will be heard because the people in this room are not waiting for an opportunity. They are the opportunity. They are the hands and feet of Jesus. Lord, they are the word of God. They're there at their work. They're proclaiming. They're speaking. They're loving. They bring peace where there hasn't been peace maybe in years. They walk into the room and there the spirit of God is and, and, and people don't understand it. But they just brought the peace of God in that room. And there Jesus will be felt and there Jesus will be heard because of the people in this room. We love you Jesus. And above all and above all things, we celebrate you, we love you, and we choose to bless you this morning. In the name of Jesus, church said, 
Amen. Amen. We all celebrate Jesus this morning. Y'all have a great day. Enjoy the fellowship time next door. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast. If you would like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at life-church.org.